if I'm talking to uh, a device A, I know exactly who or what that device is, and it's not some other hacker or somebody masquerading as that device. Coming up on today's show, we're talking to Nisarg. He's the Director of Product Management at Global Sign, and he's joining us all the way from Boston, which feels appropriate given this is being recorded on Thanksgiving and going out on Black Friday. So a bit of a shout out to our American listeners. You're listening to Tech Talks. It's your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, and assorted co-hosts. If you're interested in technology and you're looking for a bit of insight from leaders across the sector, this is the podcast for you. Joining me today, we've got Evie Oros. Hello. Hi, how are you? Now, Evie Oros, I would assume Greek origin. It is. Any yes. family in America? Um, I do actually. Yeah? Yeah. My um I think he's technically he's my dad's cousin. He sounds close. So You I've, talk every day. I've never actually met him. <laughs> <laughs> he used to live he was like they he used to live in the same area as my dad. They like grew up together. Yeah. And then he moved over to America. What's his name? Cosmos. Cosmos? Yeah. Cosmos Oros? No, not oh, Cosmos Oros. That's a shame. Um, which yeah, sadly. <laughs> um but no, he lives in San Francisco. Well happy Thanksgiving Cosmos. Yeah. The reason we were saying that seventeen percent of our audience so we believe is, is US based. It's quite a lot. So a few people listening to this will have fed themselves silly on turkey yesterday as this is going out tomorrow. They will be probably preparing yeah. their turkey right now. That's true. The time because difference. it's, well, yeah, in parts of America it is about nine o'clock, half nine in the morning. Well, there we go. So they will be stuffing turkey and putting the oven on. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. And on today's show, we are talking to a guest from Boston, which isn't a million miles away from Plymouth. As in Plymouth in the US. Plymouth I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, not, yes. not Plymouth, England. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I think, I'm, unless my history's gone horribly wrong, didn't they land Plymouth. at Plymouth Rock? Yes. Or Plymouth? It was Plymouth. Yes. And that's yeah. where the whole Thanksgiving thing came from started yes yeah. we won't go into the rest of the history it's not very nice <laughs> <laughs> anyway we'll get into the interview with Nisarg if you're interested in cybersecurity and IOT I guarantee that this is an episode for you um, everyone else listen along anyway uh, Nisarg's great and we'll be back with some interesting conversation I hope and some news afterwards Joining me on today's show, I'm joined by Nisarg. Uh, Nisarg, you are the Director of Product Management at Global Sign, and you're joining us all the way from Boston, correct? That is correct. Hi, David. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. And you're you're actually dialed in from home. So, uh, home working day is a is a is a thing that Global Sign encourages. Yes, actually, uh, you know, Global Sign is uh, really uh, flexible with both work schedules and work hours. And we have flex time, uh, can work from home. I work quite a bit away from office, but Global Sign is uh, very good in that regard. I suppose it's one of those modern, you know, in the modern technology market, the reality is that you're out, you're seeing clients, you're on the road, you're often at conferences and events. So to not be flexible would just not really make sense anymore for a lot of modern companies. Uh, that is correct. And honestly, studies have shown that uh, giving uh, flexible work location and hours increases productivity. In fact, Microsoft had a study uh, done in Japan where they had a four-day work week, and apparently it increased productivity by 40%. Um, mm. So, you know, I think we would all like four-day work weeks. And as a, as a yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I, yeah, I've never really understood why 
we can't have a four-day week. If you look at productivity for the countries actually that have fewer hours, Scandinavia, the productivity goes through the roof, whereas here in the UK, we're kind of slavish about it and we're not as productive. Anyway, that's a different point. Uh, it's a nice segue, though, to go and talk a little bit about Global Sign and what, what you guys do, just in case anyone's not familiar, because you are involved in next-gen cybersecurity and IoT. So I'm assuming you're a company that goes, well, absolutely. Why can't you work from anywhere? Because it's safe and it's secure. Exactly. And uh, that is shown uh, quite a bit in our regional presence. Um, we are a small company, about 500 people, but we are very well distributed across the globe. Uh, our headquarters are in Tokyo in Japan. Uh, we have major offices um, in the UK, uh, both uh, on Old Street in London, but also in Maidstone, Kent. Quite a big presence there. Um, we have offices in Boston, in India, in Russia, in China, in Philippines, in Singapore. So we are quite a bit spread out. And all of us come together really well uh, to produce uh, both current and next-gen cybersecurity solutions. And when we're talking about um, IoT, are we talking about consumer devices? Are we talking about devices that are in manufacturing and large-scale kind of manufacturing operations? So um, in regards to Global Sun IoT, which is under my purview, um, we are focusing on industrial IoT, uh, which is not to say that um, consumer is not important, it very well is, but the threat vectors and the attack vectors are coming much more or sooner in the, on the industrial side, just because of the infrastructure it's being used in, and then following it up with uh, the consumer side. Although I must say uh, some of the, um, anecdotal uh, security incidents in the consumer side are quite fun to read. So I get, I guess the biggest concern for a lot of organizations is that that attack vector and the surface at which they are exposed is in, ever increasing in the current market. What The, the, the number of, of, of connected devices is just exploding at the moment. And that means there's a hell of a lot more soft targets potentially. That is exactly correct. And uh, what we are seeing is the explosion in the number of connected devices and almost the term IoT, Internet of Things, is kind of going away uh, and being replaced by just devices or connected devices. Almost anything and everything will be connected soon. So the term IoT will almost be irrelevant. And people need to think of them as endpoints and endpoints, just like anything else, need to be secured. Otherwise, they are an entry point to your network and once somebody enters your network, um, they can really um, wreak havoc. So uh, there are different approaches that can be taken. Um, but what Global Science focuses on is on the core fundamental piece of device identity. Our goal is to be able to strongly identify every device that's out there that's connected to the internet so that if I'm talking to uh, a device A, I know exactly who or what that device is and it's not some other hacker or somebody masquerading as that device. If you look at what Global Science sets out to do, focused on improving security of Internet of Things devices and products, what what is what is the reality of that? How in in the market that we're describing, what practical steps do you go about to help your clients? The first thing that we are trying to do is. Um, if you take a device, it's a very complex device nowadays. You have multiple components and subcomponents. And a lot of times, even if the manufacturer did not intend uh, for the devices to be hacked, nobody intends that, uh, but if they didn't put in good practices, um, we usually have a supply chain issue. What that means is somewhere down the supply chain, somebody was compromised. And then from that point on, everyone all the way um, from that device manufacturer to OEM, the distributor, 
the owner operator and the end consumer, you and I, get affected. So we are trying to go very early on in the device's lifecycle and are able to manage the device's identity right from the time the device is born. And what we call this is a birth certificate, just like you and I have birth certificates. We give birth certificates to these devices. And then at every stage in the process afterwards, we give it another certificate, which is used for that um, purpose, for only for that specific use case. As an example, if I want to drive a car, I need a license. So I, I go and get a license. I am asked to produce some credential, like a birth certificate. But if I need a passport, I uh, have to, you know, again, produce a birth certificate. I can't use a passport to drive and I can't use a license to cross borders usually. So what we're trying to do is use that analogy in the context of the birth, the life cycle, and also the uh, zeroization or death of a device when it leaves the network. And that's how we're providing a cybersecurity solution. In, in my head, I often think of product management erring very much towards design and being a little bit separate of engineering, but I would assume with security, there's a huge amount of engineering involved. What, what, what does product management in your world look like? Is it, is it like product management, say, in retail or, or media? I, I would suspect not. Um, I would say that product management, the main core fundamental is um, we are trying to be the voice of the customer. We are trying to find out what uh, problem needs solving and which problem is worth solving. Oftentimes, we are subject matter experts and therefore we are helping guide and create the solution. But usually, um, classically, product manager's job stops at defining the problem and defining the requirement from a customer and market standpoint. So we are trying to understand what's going on in terms of cybersecurity, what are the different attack vectors, what are customers asking for, what do they need, which is a little different than what they ask for, and what should be built. How so, it is built is engineering's uh, decision. Security is this ever-evolving market that's rapidly increasing in size. Uh, I would suppose when you're, when you're designing a product that's, a, say, a consumer-led product, it's quite it's easier for an organization to understand what they need. You're talking about, you know, if, if, if a customer describes what they need, do they, do they often know what they need in this? If, you know, if they've got so many different connected devices now and, and different attack vectors that are, that are at risk. Usually they do not. And this is uh, both the result of this being new technology, but also um, the customers are simply not subject matter experts in cybersecurity. They know manufacturing yeah. really well, and we <laughs> I wouldn't be able to tell them anything about that. But when it comes to cybersecurity, they don't, they are not, they don't need to be subject matter experts. Therefore, what we do, we go in, we have a consultative approach and where we have to almost consult and guide them and try to understand uh, what they're doing and then come to them, okay, here's the problems that you might be facing or are already facing and showing them the value proposition from that perspective. And that usually um, you know, helps them make a lot of sense. It's not about, hey, here's a glass mug or here's a box that we are selling. Go buy it and go implement it. It's much more um, detail-oriented uh, than that. When we're talking about the, the, the risks that are affecting these organizations, what are, what are the actors that we're talking about? It, you know, if you talk about cybersecurity broadly, if you talk to organizations like, say, Dark Trades, who we've had on, on, the, on the podcast before, they talk about, uh, they talk about actors being quite um, opportunistic. 
you know, they're not necessarily targeting. They're just looking for uh, uh, for a soft target and then trying to, trying to exploit it, almost like wandering around a house and, and trying to find someone who's left their window open and, and finding that as a way into an organization. Is that the same here uh, with, with connected devices or does it tend to be a bit more targeted? I would say that there are two types. There's one that's obviously looking for the soft targets who haven't protected them where you can easily get in and probably either you know have fun or maybe make some money, some ransomware attack. Um, the targeted attacks usually come from uh, probably nation states or nation state actors or proxies of nation states. And those are much more targeted towards other uh, governments, other nation states, other critical infrastructure installations. So if you look at the power grid, Usually, you don't have a set of you know smart high school students trying to hack that to prove a point, although it could be the case. Usually, you have some other third-party state actor who's trying to penetrate and uh, you know cause some material harm. And in the industrial sense, we are definitely talking about actual um, you know physical harm um, to life and limb. It can cause death. It can cause injury. Um, so we are trying to protect against quite serious. Um, attack threats and attack vectors. Um, there are the general ones. So for example, just as an example, uh, we saw a vulnerability in Amazon, um, in Amazon's Ring doorbell, uh, where they were leaking passwords. And somebody passing by your house can get your password and get onto your Wi-Fi network, and they can snoop on you, and then they can probably blackmail you and make some money. So we have both types. Um, there's a smaller target actor who's looking for soft targets, but then there are the bigger ones who are trying to you know, attack uh, defense installations, the uh, power grid being the two big ones. So when we're talking about next-gen cybersecurity, um, what are you looking to uh, in the next kind of three to four years that, that are going to differentiate your products? Are you having to look at building in machine learning of some kind? Or, or you know, if you if you think about the number of, of, of uh, or that threat surface, rather, it's almost impossible, surely, for a cybersecurity team within an organization to know exactly what's going on within that network. So I'd assume that's the case, but maybe there's other developments that are a little bit unusual that I wouldn't have, have assumed that. Um, that's very true. Um, so classically, you know, we have the solution of, you know, example of putting a vault. As long as I put up a wall, a firewall, I secure my network from external actors, I'm safe, everything's good. Now it's much more finely detailed and more granular than that. Um, we have uh, segmentation and micro-segmentation, we have software-defined networks, and therefore you are trying to, A, not just you know, protect against actors outside the organization, you're trying to protect against internal nefarious actors, people who are inside your network already, um, who have either been targeted or are acting um, on behalf of somebody else, and they are trying to steal data, they're trying to poison the network from within. So um, it's now at the level of security and um, the amount of security needed is uh, much more granular. So that's uh, one of the big changes that we've seen um, traditionally. Even capturing and uh, responding to these attacks is much less reactive um, right now. Uh, you have both machine learning and other AI-based techniques which can detect anomalous behavior and say, okay, this computer doesn't seem to have any viruses on there, but it showed up at 5 a.m. in somewhere in central Russia, which it usually shouldn't because this person is located in Boston. Well, something's wrong is going on there. So uh, being able to detect that kind of behavior, being able to make sure that every endpoint within your network, 
is secure. You know exactly what all is in there. You might only have an inventory of 10,000 devices, but you might have a few hundred more actors on your network. How do you know? So being able to strongly identify every single piece of machinery, things on your network, and being able to attest that, yes, that thing is actually who it claims to be, is becoming extremely important. Last quick question. Um, you're obviously based in Boston, as we mentioned at the beginning, and you mentioned there Russia and you're painting the picture of a global market where you've got various different state actors possibly involved uh, at that kind of a at that governmental level. But are there any nuances from country to country that you see, like you know, differences between the states to Europe where companies are having to think of slightly different solutions? Um, definitely. Um, one uh, big difference, for example, is around privacy and laws and rules around privacy. Uh, Europe is leading the way with GDPR and uh, other more local GDPR-esque uh, rules. Um, and privacy, people don't think of it that much, but is quite a bit a cybersecurity uh, issue. And the leakage of data uh, is definitely a cybersecurity issue. So data governance varies quite a bit from country to country. The, uh, what we are seeing is several countries, um, you can think of uh, countries like India, uh, countries um, in Europe, countries in, uh, even the US, uh, but several of the small countries in the Middle East are trying to um, localize their infrastructure um, from the large cloud providers like the Googles, the Amazons. Um, you know, China definitely is doing that. They want people to stand up complete infrastructure stacks within their country, which they can control and they can cut off access to if need be. And we're seeing that happening quite a bit from each country. So instead of having this public cloud offerings, uh, where everything lives, each country is slowly but surely trying to silo itself um, within this uh, larger marketplace. Well, look, it's a fascinating marketplace. It's one that, as we've mentioned a couple of times, is, is evolving really quickly. So I appreciate you coming on this, Argan, and, and sharing some insight. Any any final thoughts that you'd kind of leave our listeners with? Um, the only thing I'll say is, you know, cybersecurity affects all of us, both to the large corporations to us as individuals. So following security best practices uh, really helps. You know, even the small things that you do that make you a slightly more difficult target to crack will really help you in the long run. But yeah, it was a fascinating chat. Uh, thank you so much for having me, David. It was great to be here. Um, amazing. Thank you for coming on the show. So, uh, look, I mean, it stands to reason that the more devices get connected to the internet, the more weaknesses there are or soft targets from a cybersecurity point of view. But I've always thought about it from a consumer point of view. So I've always thought about it like baby monitors um, aren't properly patched, perhaps, for security. They're easy to hack. They're easy to access. I've always thought about the consumer angle. Mm. I've never really considered the fact that, obviously, large manufacturing corporations in particular have so many connected devices that their attack surface has exploded to nefarious actors out there. Yeah, it's correct. Well, because there are so, so many devices. Everyone has, like, multiple devices. Mm. Um, and businesses especially, like, they are much bigger targets, I think. Well, think about the Amazon. Consumers. Think about the videos that you see of Amazon warehouses where they have autonomous robots whizzing everywhere with packages and parcels. Yeah. Just like, all... surely, yeah, surely, like, <laughs> that would be a massive target. And, like, how it's so hard to look after and control everything when it's at such a huge scale, isn't it? Yeah, and, and like... Like Nessar says, you know, identifying all of those um, parts of machine uh, or machinery, rather, you know, to, to the untrained human eye, you are never going to know mm. if someone has slipped a device in 
that, that just doesn't belong. Yeah. And he said it's like when, was it, when they randomly like show up at like halfway across the world or something, you're like, hmm, that doesn't seem right. How did that happen? Like, it's internally. But when he talks about that, it kind of made me think again of that. Someone's, uh, you know, logged into your Facebook in yeah. Ukraine and you're like, well, I don't think they should have done. Yeah. Which I does happen from every now and then. Castle a few months ago. Oh, Somewhere dodgy Newcastle. place. Yeah. Dodgy place. Very dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, and that's consumer. That's us, one person. Yeah. That's not a large multinational corporation with thousands of people working for it, with mm. thousands and thousands of machines connected to their network. Yeah. And it's trusting, I think individual people who are using the devices as well yeah um when they people talk all the times about like even like phishing scams and things i don't know if that's like as relevant but it's like trusting people who use the devices to be safe with them and like not get themselves into dodgy areas of like websites and things and it's not just the machinery i mean i know we're talking here about manufacturing but if you think about it every single day Harvey Nash has to deal with the fact that we all bring our personal mobiles mm. into the office and, and hook them straight up to the Wi-Fi network yeah. um, on a corporate VPN. That's so true. And, you know, we have clicked on cookies and whatever else and just click, 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 yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure the security on my actual personal phone is not what it should be. Yeah. And then, then what, are we all carrying soft targets into a, a working environment on a daily basis that then a business has to go, mm. oh, shit, what are our employees doing with their own devices that they connect up to the network yeah because you don't think about that do you because you're like oh I'll be careful what I search on like my work laptop like yeah. I don't want to like click on anything that's going to like damage my work laptop but you're like oh it's my phone like it's fine like I could do what I want but you don't think about the fact that you are connected to the work wi-fi yeah and like the implications of that like like you said as a consumer you just don't don't even think about it I take this laptop home on a regular basis when I work from home yeah. and I do surf the net and I don't use it like a personal machine but mm. I probably use it in a more fluid way than I would um, a traditional working device because mm. you don't really you're right you, you do think oh it's a work device but at the same time I think with laptops in particular there's a bit more like you just browse stuff and whatever yeah, else and you go like all over the internet plug-in computer yeah it and then you're taking it out of the environment and, and then connecting back into the VPN mm. yeah from home It'd be, and it would be so easy for someone to just like jump on I guess I don't know well my home internet connection probably doesn't have the same security features as the work one you'd hope not to be honest well you can't hope it would but it probably doesn't yeah I guess you'd hope the work one is better yeah yeah (laughs) if anything but yeah um so yeah it's just when you kind of say it initially you go yeah and you start thinking about it you go oh oh yeah that's that's a problem. Mm. And one of the lines that stuck with me was when he talks about the um, people create, you know, who are carrying out attacks. And you know, he cites money, but have fun or money was one of the things he mentions. You know, the fact that these people might just be doing it for shits and giggles mm. because they can, yeah, which is slightly terrifying. Yeah, wasn't it like there were loads of um, I can't remember where they were from, but loads of um, hackers, and they were they were literally just hacking into people's email accounts and Instagram accounts just to prove that they could do mm. it. Like, they wouldn't do anything with them. Um, it was just to prove, hey, look, I can hack you. I yeah. know your details. And there are teenagers <laughs> who sit in their bedroom who do that. Yeah. You know, and often have been kind of banned or recruited by large agencies <laughs> because they've kind of brought down some website, yeah. some government website they really shouldn't have done. Yeah. Um, Build a career out of it. Why not? 
Well, yeah. I mean, look, if you think about it, catch me if you can. It's, it's obviously way before the time, but Fra- Frank Ab- Ab- Abagnale, can't pronounce that word, Frank <laughs> Abagnale Jr., who Leonardo DiCaprio plays, he ends up becoming a consultant for yeah. uh, the US government because he was a fraudster. Mm. And there's a similar thing probably going, well, I know there is a similar thing going on with super intelligent hackers um, who exist today. Yeah, it's been interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So Nisag, super interesting chat. Thanks for coming on the show. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I know that you are not American, but no doubt you are part of the wider American family. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed your turkey. Maybe you're having a leftover turkey sandwich now. Um, I, that's what I would do on Christmas, yeah. on Boxing Day. Yeah. Turkey sandwich. Of course. Yes. Uh, and we'll stuffing. go. Yeah, obviously, and stuffing <laughs> and cranberry sauce. Uh, <laughs> um, we'll go to our advert break. When we come back, we've got a piece of tech news. Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Uh, to round off your week, heading into the weekend, and probably Christmassy stuff. I'm putting up a tree this weekend. Same Sunday, first yeah. of December. Yeah, I'm excited. Got to be done. Yeah, Christmas music on. Of course. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, did you see that Tesla released a Cybertruck? No. Oh, did you miss this? I didn't see. Oh, so. Tesla launched a Cybertruck, I think it was a week ago, and it was absolutely brilliant because they they basically said it was guaranteed chatterproof and then shattered it. Oh no. <laughs> during the demo on stage. I mean it's still been ridiculous amounts of pre-orders. So a quarter of a million customers have signed up and put down a refundable uh, $100 deposit for the Cybertruck. Um so it's getting plenty of Oh my god. plenty of interest. Um, but basically, Elon Musk has claimed that, uh, why did it shatter? Um, Musk has said that it's only happened because the, the, of the prior sledgehammer strikes to the driver's door panel undermined the structure of the windows. Um, it was brilliant. It, like, it can't be shattered, and then it shattered. Anyway, that's not the tech news. <laughs> that's so embarrassing. <laughs> this is brilliant. Lego Group have, <laughs> have released a guaranteed shatterproof Cybertruck in their range. Lego? Lego. Like actual Lego? No way! <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm gonna have to share the link to this article so that you can click and see what Lego have done. Basically, <laughs> they've stuck a brick on wheels to take the piss out of Tesla. That is amazing. It's brilliant marketing. <laughs> and you know what? Over Black Friday weekend, coming into Christmas when people are buying stuff, that's the kind of thing we go, oh yeah, Lego are a great brand. Maybe let's get some Lego. That's, that's convinced me. That's yeah. convinced me already. Definitely. Evolution of the truck is here. Guaranteed shatterproof. Oh. That's why the internet was invented. Stuff like that. I love it. Brilliant. So you didn't know that Elon Musk had a, had a guaranteed shatterproof no. Cybertruck? No, I literally just completely missed it. Oh, I'll have to find the video and also put that in the show notes so you, yeah. you can click and have a look. I will. Also, like, surely if it's shatterproof it can't be like shatterproof except from in these instances here yeah I know it's like if you hit it enough times it shatters because then it's not almost shatterproof Mm. yeah shatterproof with a star by it yeah well look I wanted to mention it because not only you know Elon Musk always a bit of entertainment in in Mm -hmm. the tech space but Lego superb uh, social media ring yes 
Love it. Well done, Lego. Yeah. Right, uh, that brings us to the end of the show. Evie, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Nisog, thanks for being our guest, and we will be back next week.